0: Well, I don't know if you have any of those questions and you're asking for a friend, but uh, we're not dealing with any of them. So, but we're dealing with other, maybe more pressing questions like, what, is it okay for me to doubt as a Christian or maybe as a, not a Christian? Can I, is, is doubt good? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Last week, we looked at anger, like uh, uh, my friend can't control his anger. He can't get rid of it. What do I tell my friend? Or what do I do for myself? Um, And so this week, though, we're going to talk about another question as well that maybe some people are um, embarrassed to ask for themselves. And so they might say, I'm asking for a friend. But the question we're going to look at today is, does God have an answer for my addiction? And uh, addiction, of course, is really anything that um, we have a compulsive need for, dependence on something you just can't live without. And so that could be anything. It can be food or sex or, or work, relationships, success, money, chews, cigarettes, your phone. I mean, all sorts of things we can be addicted to. And I think just about everyone, maybe not everyone, but almost everyone, certainly myself, have struggled with addiction of something at some point in our lives and, and many times are, are struggling even now. And so, what do we do with addiction? But especially, I want to focus on today—not just addiction in general. And as I talk, you can apply this to whatever addiction you might have, whether it's food or your phone or, or, or some game or, or a relationship or, or something that's unhealthy that you just have to have. Um, so, so you can apply it to any of those things. But we're really going to drill down and talk a lot about addiction to substances today. To, to drugs, to alcohol. And and as we start with this, I just want to give you an idea of the scope of the problem in America. So every one of those little people up there represent 1,000 people in 2021 who died from opioid overdoses, meth, fentanyl, cocaine, heroin. Not, not just the illegal stuff, but also the legal stuff. Opioids that you get by prescription are things like Delaudin. Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin. I don't know how to say all these words even necessarily, but and then, and then there's, a whole lo- there's a whole list of, of others as well. It, it is the, the elephant in the overdose uh, category, all those opi- opioids. Um, prescription drugs, in the last 20 years, we are consuming eight and a half times more prescription pain medication in the United States than we were 20 years ago. Eight and a half times more. That's, that's unbelievable. And this is prescribed by doctors. It's no wonder that there are four times as many overdose deaths involving the prescription drugs than there were 20 years ago. Um, these numbers up here. Two times as many of them are men as women. Um, Impacts both, but that's part of it. But here's here's the thing that a lot of times we don't talk about as far as alcohol and drug abuse, and that's how big an elephant alcohol is. Um, I don't come from a big family. My sister's actually here this morning. I have one sister and one brother. That's it. I only have six cousins Okay, so smaller family, maybe some of you can relate. Some of you have more siblings than I have cousins and uncles all put together and aunts. Um, but even in my family, I have six cousins. One of them is no longer living because he drank himself to death. Uh, early 40s. And um, alcohol. This, this makes the headlines. Why doesn't this make headlines? this is an old story. It's legal, it's acceptable, right? It's just, it's kind of like, you know, um, monkeypox. You know, pneumonia kills, monkeypox isn't even fatal, but pneumonia kills tens of thousands of people every year. Over 100,000 people, I think, probably die of pneumonia, maybe not hundred, but a lot. Nobody, pneumonia doesn't make the headlines, right? 12 people in Susquehanna County contracted pneumonia this week. Who cares? Because it's, 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 we've, we've kind of just gotten used to it. It's just part of life. And this is true with us. I'm telling you, all of this, you need to, if you need to, the Bible doesn't prohibit alcohol, but it does say we should not get drunk. You need to treat alcohol like any other drug or medical prescription that you have. And you don't double dose, right? 12 ounces of beer, five ounces of wine, one and a half ounces of strong liquor. That's it. That's a dose. If you're taking that every day, it's not healthy. If you're taking double that in a day, it's, it's not healthy. It's not good. And many times what happens is there's this okay relationship we have with something like alcohol, and then something bad happens, and, and we go to it instead of the right thing. Nobody sets out, and is like, you know what I want to be? I want to be an addict. I think I'll start working on that today. No, we, we slide into it. Someone is prescribed something by a doctor and then they feel like, man, I just need a little bit more. Or, or they start maybe drinking a little bit and then it becomes a little bit more and then it becomes an everyday kind of thing. And so this, this is a huge issue. And so I wanna read to you from God's word kind of, kind of what, what the answer to this is. Um, because there's two lies of addiction First lie is I can stop whenever I want, right? I got the tiger by the tail. It isn't a problem for me. I mean, it's a problem for those other people, but I'm, I can handle it. And then that's really not the big lie because that's a temporary one that I don't find a lot of people believe for a long time. The really big lie is the next one. We go from I can stop whenever I want to I can't stop. I tried to stop. Do you think I don't want to stop? And, and this is what God's word says, a letter written almost 2,000 years ago to a church. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So there's part of me that, that what God says is right, that's what I want. But then there's this other part of me that's this evil that's right there with me. And I see another law at work within me. There's God's law. God's law is like a finger pointing out what's right and wrong. And it can't rescue us, but it can at least show us what's right and wrong. He says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Do do you understand what he's kind of saying? He's saying, I have this addiction and it's waging war, and I try to stop it, and I can't, and I I hate what it does to me. I hate what it makes me do to the people I love. I hate how I have to lie and cheat and steal to get it. I hate how I have to cover it up. I hate how ashamed I feel about it. I I just hate it so much, and I want to stop so bad, but it just makes me feel so good sometimes when my whole life has just fallen apart, I know, I know what it'll do for a little bit. And then I go back into the shame and the guilt and the regret and the hiding and the stress and, and my, it's even worse now. And then I go back, right back to it and it creates this cycle. I thought I had the tiger by the tail, but now I'm in its jaws and what do I do? because I've tried, but there is a war going on. He goes on to say this, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He's like, my mind, my mind wants what's right. I, and, but it's at war with my body and my desires and, and, and I just can't fix it. And here's the first thing I want you to know this morning. You're not as trapped as you feel there is a way out. Um, you know, it's one thing if, if one of you were to cause me problems, or, or maybe I'll cause you a problem. Let's do it that way. I'm going to cause Joel problems, and I'm going to show up at his door, and I'm going to pound on it. I'm going to be yelling and screaming. Who will save Joel from me? Well, Joel might be able to save himself from me, honestly. I'm not a really big guy, but... Assuming I'm... Our, he can call the cops, right? And the cops, whether well, the state police, whatever, they'll save you from me. But who will save you from you? Who, who, can, who can you call when you're the problem with yourself? And, and that's what these verses are talking about. And he says, you're, you're not, I want you to know you're not as trapped as you feel. This is, this is one, the next verse. He says, thanks be, who, who, can, who can deliver me? Who can rescue me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and I'm going to have us say this out loud in a little bit. But here's what many of you, if you're watching online or if you're here in the room, this is what you hear when I say this. Wah want, 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 Jesus Christ, want, 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 want. That's what you hear. And you're like, okay, so get religion. That's how I overcome my addiction. Get religion. I've tried religion. You think I haven't tried religion? I'm in church. I'm... You know, I've tried religion and it still hasn't fixed it. And that's because we don't understand what he's really saying here. Who delivers us? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is he your Lord? You see, because what most people think their problem is when they have addiction is, I I wish the Lord would take my addiction away. I wish somehow I could overcome my addiction. Um, and, And what psychologists would tell us to do is, You know, you have put your addiction on the throne of your life. You have made, you know, whatever, this drug, this this whatever it is, you've put that on the throne of your life. You bow down to it. You do whatever it says. You worship it. You serve it. You spend your whole life, your life is organized around this thing. And modern psychologists would say, you need to take that drug off the throne and you need to put yourself back in charge of your life. But here's the problem you were in charge of your life when you got off and put the drug in charge. You're going to be playing a game of musical chairs because if it's up to how strong you are, you probably aren't going to be strong enough. And and so what he's saying is Jesus doesn't want to be Lord of your addiction. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants everything. Everything. He wants your relationships with other people. He wants your work and work ethic and what you do. He wants your hopes and dreams. He wants your finances. And you have to say, everything, I'm going to give it to God. In fact, there's a man who recently has done that. And he says, I don't want you announcing it with the flower yet. (laughs) Because I don't want people thinking I'm conning them. Oh, yeah, he's got, he says, I'm not a good man. He says, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, for the first time in my life, I'm a new person. I'm different. And, and God has changed me. And I want people to see that change before we get some flower up here announcing it. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's, let's say that together, okay? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so we're going to say it again. This time, if you don't believe it, just mouth the words, all right? But if you do believe it, I want you to say it with conviction and say it loudly, okay? I might have to back my mic off, all right? Ready? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you believe that's true? It actually is true. It's not, wah, 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 Jesus. It's it's that we, if you make Jesus your Lord, if you surrender and give your life to Him, not just your addiction, because your addiction isn't your problem. Your addiction is a symptom of a deeper problem in your heart and something else that is a stronghold that that you need to give over to God. Give it all over to God. And this guy I'm talking to you about, he's like, someone actually came up to me and said, you know, I was talking about this Jesus thing and how he's different. And he says, are you high? Are you on something right now? And he's like, no, I'm not on anything. Like, this is you know what, if you are not radically obsessed with Jesus Christ, because what, what you do, you don't need to just give up your obsession and your addiction. You need to get a new one. You need to have a new obsession, a new addiction to following Jesus Christ and being like Him. This is an awesome verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Pastor Matt preaches over in Halstead, very insightful guy. This is so insightful, though, I got to believe he, he stole it from someone. So maybe he is that good. Here's what he said. He said, condemnation turns events into identities. Condemnation turns events into identities. If you steal, what are you? That's your identity, right? You're a thief. Right? If you commit adultery, what are you? You're an adulterer. If you do drugs, what are you? You're an addict. That's your, if, you're, if you drink all the time, what are you? You're an alcoholic. That's your identity. That's your label. That's who you are till the day you die. That's condemnation speaking. Okay? And I, and I know people will say, well, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Well, you haven't drunk in 30 years. How can you be an alcoholic? I understand that you... you That's someone saying, I need to be on guard against this because I know this is a weakness in my life, but you are no longer an alcoholic, and you are no longer an addict. If Jesus has forgiven you, you have a new identity. You are a child of His. That's who you are. You're not an addict anymore you're not an alcoholic, you're not a thief, you're not a liar, you're not a whatever, you fill in the blank. That's not who you are. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And this is, this is what this means. You are not defined by your darkest moment, you are defined by Jesus' darkest moment. So when He was on the cross He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They turned their back on Jesus for the first time in all of the existence of the universe. Jesus was separated from the fellowship and the friendship he had with the Father and the Spirit. He was totally isolated because he was taking our sin. He became sin for us. And he was taking on himself the judgment and hell that we deserve. And that is the defining moment in your life if you have asked Him to forgive you because He has taken your sin and you have His righteousness. And you're not defined by your sin anymore. You're not defined by those things that you hope nobody ever knows or that you wish you never did or that it never comes to light or that's not what defines you. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are defined by Jesus and His righteousness what he experienced in his darkest moment, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is the only way to freedom. It's the only thing that gives you a fighting chance for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sinful offering. The law is powerless because all the law does is it points out your sin, this is helpful in that, you know, if you don't have the law, then your life is miserable and you don't know why. You know, but the law says, here's why your life is miserable. This is, this is sin. Sin corrupts. Sin destroys relationships. Sin hurts you and others. And, and this is sin, and this is why your life is miserable. Okay, thank you. Now, I know my life is why it's miserable, but I can't get out because the law is the law, the not, not powerful enough. What is powerful enough? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Again, this is not just a, he doesn't just want your addiction, he wants everything. Everything. I have, I wasn't planning on saying this publicly. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I hope this doesn't wreck someone today. But generally, if someone comes to church this is the first time back in church. They haven't been to church in years, maybe decades, maybe ever. And the first time they come to church, they say, yes, I am surrendering my life. I want Jesus' forgiveness. I'm giving my life to him. Almost every time I've ever seen that happen, I never see them again. But if someone comes, and as Jesus says, counts the cost, Jesus says, hey, hey, if you're going to follow me, that's serious. No one sits down and says, I'm going to build a tower without sitting down and saying, do I have enough money to finish? He says, no, no warlord or no king says, I'm going to attack that other country before they sit down and say, do I have enough men? Do I have enough, do I have enough manpower? Do I have enough weapons? He says, before you undertake anything significant, you count the cost. There was a couple who were coming. They asked me to do premarital counseling with them. And uh, so they had come to a service, I gave a gospel presentation about how we can be saved, we need to give God our lives afterward. I'm talking to them in counseling, and they're like, we want to do that. I'm like, Do you know what that means? And what does it mean? It means everything in your life, you're gonna you're gonna live every area of your life for God, no matter how hard no matter how much it doesn't make sense, no matter how uncomfortable you're going to do ever give your life, whole life to God, whatever He wants you're going to do. Yeah, we want to do that. Well, that means you shouldn't have sex before you're married. You need to stop having sex. I know you have two children together, you live together, but you need to st- that's what God says. And she said, we can do that. And he said, I'm not sure. <laughs> let's, let's think about this. But they still said they wanted to pray. And I said, you know what? You need to count the costs next week. Come back next week, and I'll pray with you next week. They came back next week, and I says, are you ready? Now that you've counted the costs, are you ready? No. A month later, are you ready? No. And I began to think, what did I do? <laughs> like, they wanted to pray. But you know what? It's not about a prayer. What does a prayer matter if deep down you're still on the throne and playing that game of musical chairs? I think it was about three months later, I think he gave me a call. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to trust him. Anything, anything I'll do for him. That is what this is talking about. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What does the Spirit desire from you? Is, Is that why you get up in the morning? Or is it, man, I'd love to buy that piece of property. Man, I'd love to make that deal. Man, I'd love to buy that that thing on Amazon. Or I'd love to, I, I wish so-and-so would, would notice me and that we could be a couple. Or, you know, what what is it you desire? Or do you desire, man, what does God want from me today? That's what I desire. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You need to overcome your addiction. You need the power that is strong enough to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what you need. You don't need like Bob-sized power, okay? You don't even need Joel-sized power, All right, you need God. You need Jesus Christ. You need the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And this is the promise. When you surrender your life to Him, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and gives us a fighting chance, gives you the power. Does He solve everything and take away your desires? No. Take away your desires, you'd no longer be human. He says, no, but He's going to give you the power to overcome that. Your addiction is not stronger. Than Jesus. Your addiction is not stronger. Whatever your addiction is, you need to say that. Maybe we say it out loud right now. Maybe we don't, because you might be ashamed of that. My addiction is stronger than alcohol. My addiction is stronger than meth. My addiction is stronger than, than porn. My addiction is stronger than, than food, than brownies, Yes, it is. I'm not, sorry, I'm saying it wrong. My Jesus is stronger than brownies. My Jesus is stronger than porn, not my addiction. I've been doing it wrong. All right, Jesus, it's Jesus. Oh, all right. Time to wrap up. A lot of you, uh, I've said this more recently. Um, I used to run. I hate running. I did not run, I probably ran five miles in my life between the age of 22 and 35. And then I started running at age, yeah, 35. Because there was a man in the church who ran. And I never got better than him. (laughs) Even though he's older than me, it's frustrating. He'd say, I haven't run for four weeks, I'm really out of shape. And he would (laughs) just go on ahead. (laughs) <laughs> I'll see you at the end. <laughs> um, but uh, I met Terry McCary when I moved down here, and I thought, I want to get to know that man. And, uh, you know, I've been sharing with you what God's Word says. What I want to share with you now is his story. He wants to share with you his story. This, this is what the Bible says, but if you want to know what does this look like in real life, Listen.
1: I was born in Philadelphia to loving parents. My dad, around around the age of five, decided to to move up into the country. So he bought a small 80-acre farm outside of Springville. And the following year, my parents uh, sent my brother and I back down to Philadelphia to stay with friends. Somehow I was selected to share a bedroom with the older teenage boy. And it was during that period of time that I was sexually abused. And when I returned home after that week, uh, I was really confused, angry. There was shame, guilt. I had no idea how to share what had taken place, but the anger um, just continued to really grow inside of me. I was angry at my parents because, you know, they were supposed to watch over me and protect me. I became a very difficult child who was hard to control. My parents drank, so I, I figured at a very young age I could sneak uh, liquor and beer from, from my parents without them even knowing it. And I started smoking pot around 11. And uh, I realized that by doing that, I could stay numb. But my life really became about living lies. My drug use continued and I, decided to join the Air Force. Uh, I I joined just to escape my life and how it was. And before I went overseas, I took a 30-day leave of absence. And it was during this period of time in my life that I was introduced to the needle and crystal meth. Probably that decision there was one that really sent my life into spirals. And I traveled throughout Europe. Uh, I was still using but everything was in control at this point in my life. I met my first wife, Lori. I fell in love with her and we got married. Uh, She knew I was using and it didn't take long before she started using. My tour was up. I was honorably discharged. She still had a year and a half left, had orders for Mountain Home, Idaho, where I contacted someone in Idaho to see if there was speed there. And I was told no. And I made the choice of I was going to walk away from my marriage for a bag of speed and a needle. And it didn't take long before I became very ill. I was suffering from hepatitis. And the doctor told me that if I didn't give up my lifestyle, I wouldn't be around long. So I had to give up the alcohol and the drugs, the hard drugs. I continued to smoke pot, went back to work, and uh, I maintained that way for probably a good year or so and then I got slowly back into drinking and the harder drugs. I always uh, figured that my life would end due to accidental suicide, I would call it. Um, Drinking, I would leave the bar and I couldn't even hardly walk and I would drive well over 100 miles an hour and figured if I lost control, my life would be over. My personal life was totally a Train wreck. My niece hooked me up on a blind date, and that was with Laura, my wife. Now we hit it off, and uh, we got married. She had two wonderful boys. Uh, Things were going good as far as you know the outward appearance, but inside, uh, you know, dealing with kids, uh, a home, a house, responsibility. I started using more and more. You know, I was dealing to keep supplying my own habit and uh, she was getting more and more uh, concerned. Uh, One night, you know, we got into one argument and uh, as far as my rage and my anger, it was kind of like a volcano that erupted. Uh, Once it started spewing, I couldn't stop, I couldn't control it. And I began to smash things in our home. I don't know how long it lasted, it lasted quite a while. And we both left and I came home and I, for the first time, I I saw the fallout. And I think for the first time in my life, I realized that I didn't like the monster that I had become. And at that point, I just said, I'd be better off if, everybody would be better off if I was not in this world. And I remember going to upstairs to our bedroom and taking the pistol. and sitting there on the floor. I decided I was gonna end my life. And I couldn't do it. And I thought what a failure I am. Later on that evening I made some phone calls. And the next day I was on my way to Bethany a Rehabilitation Center for drugs and alcohol and you know it was wanting so bad to change, but not knowing if it was even possible and during that time frame, uh, my wife Laura, had been talking to Pastor Jay Molyneau from Bridgewater. She surrendered her life to the Lord, and she informed me that maybe I should talk to Jay, and Jay came down to see me. I was surprised because you know he didn't even know me I'm sure he knew my story, and I was thinking. Why would someone want to come and talk to, especially a pastor, come and talk to someone like me? But he did, and he led me to the Lord. And I wasn't sure, not, not surrendering and not, not admitting that I was a sinner and that I needed help. I knew that. What I struggled with was just turning my life over to the Lord, you know, to surrender. And he shared the verse in Revelations about, here I stand knocking at your door. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him. And I was hesitant to just throw the door open. And Jay said, if you only open it just a little bit, that's all you need. And I was okay with that. Just open it a little bit because I was so unsure. And so when I left the rehab, I came to Bridgewater because I felt I owed Jay that much. And... uh, when I walked through the door, him and his wife stood there. He just uh, he just grabbed a hold of me and gave me a bear hug. I think my feet came up off the floor. And as I w- walked in, the warm and friendly greeting from the people of the church just blew me away. Never expected that. But I still had a lot of struggles in my life. I still struggle with anger. Still struggle with dealing with my feelings, and I just figured that's the way it's always going to be. I'm never going to get rid of my anger. And uh, over time, you know, going through celebrate recovery, celebrate recovery actually put me on the road to of healing. Scripture says that if I'm not willing to forgive, God won't forgive me. The unforgiveness, see. Bitterness and the anger inside of me was really destroying everything around me. And I'll be honest. I didn't want to forgive. I had no desire to forgive the man who abused me. But as I spent time in recovery, I began to realize that I was no better off than the people that abused me. I was no different people that I had hurt I didn't care how bad, I, badly I hurt them, how it was going to impact them, how it may have altered their lives, and I didn't care Christ took everything all my sin, I took it to the cross he showered me with his grace, his love and his mercy and for me to be like him, I had to do the same and I truly did forgive the man who abused me and it was like a ton of A weight lifted off my shoulders. As I began to um, do these things, healing started to to happen more and more. Anger started to dissolve more and more. I no longer want to be in control. I still find myself trying to take control at times. And I can say now that I'm more committed more in love with my wife now than the day we got married. Been some struggles, but stayed committed in our our love and our relationship with the Lord. And uh, finally put all my past behind me to deal with my past, to accept my past. And now I'm looking forward to uh, what God has in store for me now.
0: It's so powerful. One of the things Terry wanted me to share with all of you is he's not a broken man today. Uh, He lives a life full of joy and hope. He said, That's not who I am today. He's been sober over 30 years. Um, He even said this He said, I used to never display emotion thinking it was weakness, but I'm free of that too. (laughs) (laughs) And he's willing to sit down and talk to anyone. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to talk to someone. If you're online, there's going to be a thing you can raise your hand and talk to someone uh, online in a, in a chat. I'm um, going to have some people come forward with these yellow cards and just stand in the front as we sing the closing song. They're, they're willing to talk to you, pray to you about anything. It doesn't have to be addiction. Whatever's going on in your life, maybe, maybe addiction isn't your problem, but you've realized, I've never really surrendered. And maybe today I'm willing to open that door just to crack and let Jesus in. Um, one of the great things, I think, about Terry's story, when I started running with him all those years ago, I didn't know a lot of this because a lot of this hadn't happened yet. He's free from his addiction, but then little by little, anger forgiveness like little by little god god began working in these other areas as well and i think some of that is a kindness and a mercy from him if we could see all of our problems all at once it would be overwhelming but he leads us step by step and so often someone thinks 90% of my problem is my addiction but you take that away and then god reveals no no, no there's something else you have another step and i'm going to walk with you together through this And little by little, so that the Terry that stands before you today is unrecognizable from the Terry of of 30 years ago, from the Terry of 20 years ago. And He has the power to do that in your life as well. This is what our nation needs. This is what the world needs. This is what our community needs. You know, those who are watching online, I don't know what your community needs. Is where it is, but I know what they need. They need Jesus Christ, and um, and this is a message we need to share with others. If if uh, if you haven't signed up and you want to be at the Manly Meal, here's the thing: if you're coming, you need to bring someone with you who needs to hear this. We're gonna show a uh, uh, 14 more minutes of this um, in addition to what was shown today. There's more to the story. We're gonna do that tomorrow night at six o'clock at the VFW. Uh, But let us know you're coming, okay, because we can't make manly food, which is mostly meat, (laughs) appear out of thin air. So sign up before you go, um, because this is a a message that can change, that can change everyone's life. Um, Pray with me together, and I'm going to pray a salvation prayer, a prayer of surrender. And if... um, If you're ready for that, I ask you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you forgive. I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to earth, not, not to point out our sin, not to show us an example that we fall incredibly short of, but you sent Jesus Christ to die for us, to take our place so that we would be defined by his darkest moment and not ours. And so, God, I do admit that I'm a sinner. That's the easy part. A little bit harder, I ask that you would forgive me. I don't want to pay for my sin. Please let Jesus pay for my sin on the cross. And then, God, the hard part is this God, I. I know Jesus stands at the door and knocks, and you're standing there and knocking, and I want to open that door and let you into my life. God, I want you to be my Lord, my, my, my master, my forgiver, my leader. God, I give you my life, and it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things, amen.